Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I'm joined today by comic book creators Desiree Proctor and Erica Harrell, here to talk about nuclear power. Their graphic novel, Six Issues, came out here in 2021. The trade is going to be available soon here in October 2021, perhaps as you are listening to this. Uh, It's a darkly poignant alternate history of the Cuban Missile Crisis, depicting the United States under authoritarian control which subjects women to mandatory pregnancy screenings and forced abortions. We're going to talk about that. Obviously, that is a loaded topic, um, and it is something that I think this graphic novel deals with quite effectively. So as let me start here, Desiree, Erica. Thanks so much for joining. As someone who uh, played a concerning amount of Fallout 4 recently on paternity leave, <laughs> I, consider, I consider myself something of an expert on the apocalypse. Um, I'm curious, what are, what are both of your sources of inspiration and, and what into the sort went, went into the rules and structure um, for sort of this post-apocalyptic America? Sure. So uh, Desiree and I are both uh, Cuban American. Uh, my mom came over from Cuba uh, in the like early 1970s, and she first went to Chicago um, mainly because the government, the U.S. government, like told Cuban immigrants where they had to go when they first mm-hmm. came over. So they went from a very tropical, warm environment of Cuba to like the freezing cold of Chicago, and then eventually made their way down to Florida. Um, And at that time, you know, the country was still sort of reeling from how close we had come to nuclear war um, in October of 1962. So there was a lot of like anti-Cuban sentiment, and especially like people who spoke Spanish. Spanish was obviously my mom's first language, and she was in her late teens when she came over. Um, So her goal was like assimilate as quickly as possible. So when she had me years later, she was still trying to lose her accent. She was still trying to fit in. She was trying Mm. to be um, a part of a country that didn't necessarily want her here, but she had also fled a country that had taken everything from her and from my grandparents. Um, So that was one of our main inspirations for the story because we were really interested in that 1962 time period. So we kind of started there with doing some, a lot of historical research. What were the real ships that were involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis? Who were some of the real players involved? And, um, and then we kind of like, we went as far as to, you know, in considering what the world would look like today because nuclear power takes place in present day. So it's 60 years after the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so we looked at um, the maps of the strike zones of where the USSR would have um, nuked the United States and vice versa. And we discovered that basically Florida would be destroyed and all of Cuba and both coasts of the United States. And so when creating our world, we thought, Well, the surviving members of the United States would probably move their new country, which we call the American Union, into um, the middle of the U.S. because that's probably the only really habitable area. Um, And so that's why we decided to center the graphic novel in Chicago. And that becomes the new capital of the American Union. Um, And also doing a lot of research into like nuclear contamination, you know, in the 60s and before then, people didn't really, they didn't know how long nuclear radiation lasted and that it could like seep into the earth. For example, Bur- the city of Burbank in California 
it used to have a military base um, and now it's like a Walmart and a Target. But in the 19, like 40s, 50s, 60s, they would just take the nuclear waste and just bury it under the ground and think that was fine. But the nuclear contamination ended up seeping into the water. And then in the 80s and 90s, all these people that lived in Burbank who were drinking tap water came down with cancer and other health ailments. And so um, using that sort of logic, when this like new country was built in our comic book, um, the people at the time built a wall around the country to keep the nuclear waste out, not realizing the contamination is also airborne and has seeped into the water and is still affecting the people inside the American Union. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. It, it is interesting. You can definitely feel, I think, the research and the the care that goes into a work like this. I think the, the Cuban Missile Crisis definitely is one for me as someone who was born, you know, certainly after the fact um, that it's like I'm well aware of what it was and the general implications, but in terms of specifics <laughs> and like the actual threat that that presented, it's definitely one that I think the gravity of it is sort of lost on me. So I do find historical fiction that taps back into it pretty fascinating as as you both do here. Uh, backing it up a little bit and, and we'll continue to dig into the work. Um, how did the two of you get started as as writing partners? And what is the what is it sort of like in terms of the balance of creation between the two of you? Uh, so Desiree and I are both, um, she came from a military background family, so she had actually lived in a bunch of different places um, before her dad uh, settled in Florida, and I was born and raised in Florida. So we both went to college at the same place, and um, then ended up both moving from Florida to Los Angeles at different times, and ended up connecting uh, once we were in LA, and discovered that we had kind of a lot of similar backgrounds. Like I said, both of our mothers were Cuban. Um, we both love genre. We loved going to Comic-Con and like nerding out over things. And Desiree um, had been writing um, a play for the Fringe Festival in LA. And I um, had been working as kind of more of a creative producer with a different team. And so uh, we ended up kind of pairing up together. I had an idea about something. Desiree brought in some great ideas too. We ended up pitching um, and sold um, an idea to Amazon Studios. Um, it was called Fritter the Superpowered Hush Puppy. <laughs> so. so definitely, you know, very much like in the comic book space. Um, yeah. Except it was a superhero fried piece of food. <laughs> <laughs> very different age range. It was like seven to 12 year olds. Um, but that was the first thing that we sold together. And a lot of people are like, well, how did that happen? And it was basically just us being ourselves and going up to people at conventions and saying, hey, we have a pitch. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then for some reason, them listening to us. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, since then, it's like we went on to write television. Uh, we've written for Telltale Games on The Walking Dead uh, Michonne. We worked for uh, Skybound on uh, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, their VR experience. So we have a lot of experience in post-apocalyptic post world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> And um, of course, that was one of our first um, uh, experiences, like adapting, like was the Walking Dead games. Mm. And uh, because of that, um, we applied for the DC Comics Writers Workshop um, mm -hmm. in the inaugural year, and we were the only women accepted, actually, um, mm. out of about like fifteen hundred applicants. Yeah, and that's how we met um, our artist on Nuclear Power, Lynn Yoshii. Uh, she was in the DC Comics artist program the same year we were in the writers program. 
And uh, we, you know, the, the artists and the writers program didn't really mingle too much. Um, but one day we took a trip to the DC Comics offices and they were showing us some of like the artist's work. And we immediately saw Lynn's work and we're like, we need to find out who did that. We need to track her down and get her to work on our comic. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what we did. Yes. Amazing. And what was the, what was your experience like with the, the DC talent workshop? Um, so that's for, for listeners who are less familiar. I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like, but I think Scott Snyder was one of the founders or certainly one of the earlier voices in this iteration of things. I think it starts circa 2015, 2016, right around there. Um, what, uh, what was that experience like? And I guess what were some of the major takeaways for yourselves as, as creatives? Well, it was, you know, it was our first time really learning um, how comic books are structured in like the very classic DC way. So we had, there was eight students and they were actually across the world. We had one of our um, peers was in Australia. Scott Snyder was in New York. So we were Zooming before Zoom became uh, the thing. <laughs> it was cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did it before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we would meet for, I think, about three hours every week over the course of probably like eight weeks. Hmm. And um, Scott had various like reading and writing assignments throughout um the workshop where it was like we would not just read dc comics we would read marvel we would read indie comics we would talk about the relationship between the writers and the artist and how that mm -hmm. partnership works and how it can like you know sometimes as a writer you can either you want to like describe every single thing and like you're not leaving any room for the artist and some writers like mm -hmm. back off and they like leave things very bare in the description and let the artist kind of like figure out what the panels will be like and what the shot and composition will be like. So, you know, I'd say we learned a lot. Throughout. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really great program. It was like being in college again and, you know, learning from Scott Snyder. It was just, it was amazing. And we still like talk to like everybody that we were in that program with. Um, and it was interesting then taking what we learned in the DC comics program and then like applying it to working on nuclear power. Um, because at DC, they're very much like you need to describe, you know, exactly what you want in each panel. And then when working with Lynn, we did that on the first issue. And she's like, you know, I'd prefer if you just like left the action very minimal and let me decide. And we were like, that's what we yeah. prefer. <laughs> this is great. Yes. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And yeah. it was truly like, you know, the way we would describe stuff and then we would get, you know, Lynn's roughs back or like her thumbnails back and we're like, oh my gosh, this is even better than we could have imagined or staged it. So it was really great to have that relationship with her and that trust like um, that we built with her over the course of doing this. Because it's, it's pretty rare to have, well, first of all, like a female artist doing all of the drawing, all of the coloring, all of the lettering, like Lynn yeah. did all of it on this book for every issue. Yeah, it was, it's really incredible. I mean, and from our background working in um, video games and television, we're used to just keeping the actions and stuff minimal and letting the other departments do their best work. Um, and so being able to take that into our relationship with Lynn and like, okay, we don't want to dictate anything to you because you know this medium better than we do. We'll put, we know the story and the words. Um, you, you'll just like us getting in the way and telling you how we want things laid out is not the best way of working at all. Yes. 
And like, we kind of also took the approach and this sounds maybe silly, but you know, the idea of like artists are actors with pencils. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, they, their hand basically is like drawing those emotions. So it's like, we can delete words if like, you know, she can get the appropriate, like sadness on her face or grief or happiness or anger. It's like, that helps us so much too, to be able to say like, look, it's right there. You can see it and you don't need to like read it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That That's cool. I think there were definitely some moments. I don't know if this was part of that organic growth you're describing or not. Um, as the comic progressed, where it did seem like the action got a little more stylized. Um, there were the, where I wonder if now you saying that it's interesting where if that was Lynn having the freedom to just do her thing. Right. And 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 go wild as opposed to trying to capture something else right and i'm thinking towards the end there are some stylized things where like i think the lettering becomes like the panel borders of an mm-hmm. action sequence it's some really cool stuff um that, that fits in there and it's a great looking comic i so yeah. while we're on the topic of of the art and the relationship there um one thing that definitely stands out is as so we got six issues and as the six issues progress there's a progressing color palette of each issue is basically like one tone essentially right but it's a different tone per issue um where you have these changing hues can you speak to the the thinking there like what was the kind of the strategy behind that yeah that's actually a twofold reason one was a very practical reason which was as i mentioned lynn did everything for this comic yeah. um, and she needed to be able to like simplify her style enough to be able to accomplish doing all of this work And so she wanted to have a more limited palette so she didn't have to color every single thing in so much detail. Um, So that was like the practical side of it. And then from the creative and the story side of it, um, Desiree and I kind of discussed with Lynn, like, okay, let's start issue one with this kind of like deep red, kind of very communist, totalitarian propaganda propaganda posters from like the 50s and 60s from like Cuba and North Korea and China. And then once Claudia, who's our main character, leaves the American Union for the very first time in her life, she goes into, she goes over the wall, which is kind of like the wilderness. So we wanted to kind of take it into like a more green hues. It's more natural. It's like something that, you know, she hasn't seen before. The readers haven't seen before. And we kind of progressed that color scheme throughout all six issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. will change this color scheme if we're going into a flashback or if it's more somber, the cues will change. Um, so it it was used to denote like location, time, and emotion. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's effective. I mean, there's I won't spoil it for for people who haven't read it, but there's a a moment where there's there's a loss in the story, and uh, and then like the, there's these blue hues in the following issue, and that was the point where I was like, oh, I get it, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> like there's, there's more to this than I realized, <laughs> um, which is cool. I love that in comics. Uh, so it. In terms of the narrative, you know, we talked about the alternate history, which I think is fascinating. Um, and that that's kind of there's a big picture focus on like, OK, Chicago's the hub of this this American Union, which as somebody from the Chicago area, I took way too much pride in. I was like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> we did it <laughs> um, as the narrative progresses, it's less about these big picture mechanics, though, and it's, it's more about like what's left of the government writing and sort of this totalitarian regime, you know, and kind of dictating when women can and can't have children. And, and we get a smaller picture story that you know channeled through the characters like claudia um you have kids here who are there's a quote-unquote threat that some of the pregnancies will will lead to variants right these these children born with powers from radiation um and there's a very clear i think metaphor and very effective metaphor in terms of government saying who can and can't have kids and and sort of all the 
the you know the ways they try to dictate that. Um, what was most important to you in, in making this the focus of the work and kind of having that be really the central theme of the book? I believe for us, it was about like women having um, the right to their own bodies and the agency to choose what happens. Um, and it is such a hot button topic and something that was just very personal to us, um, as well as to Lynn, to just be able to kind of tell the story and kind of flip it a little bit on its head for, you know, how, you know, in, in this world, it's kind of like the government is sort of doing the opposite of what our right. government's doing. Yes. Yeah. We, we really wanted to make a person's agency, the focus of the book. Um, and whether they're men or women, like everybody should have the agency to decide what happens with their lives and their bodies and um, their government. <laughs> yeah. So that was really the story. Like we wanted to tell, um, because as the story progresses, you see that both sides, both like the government and like the rebels are taking choices away and taking agency away from the women in the story. And there isn't really a clear right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that like, Claudia helps some of the other characters discover in the book. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, it was interesting. I thought it, initially as I was reading it, um, because the situation is inverted, it wasn't as clear to me, right? Where the government was essentially, you know, terminating pregnancies. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the opposite. So I was like, well, what's the, what's the message here? What's the theme? But it's very clear. I think as it progresses, especially through, you know, like you're saying with the lead characters, um, how the agency of it doesn't change, right? And, and the ability to actually choose. So this is related then, I think, to, you know, this being a central tenant to the work. So upcoming, there's going to be, and, and we'll release this after this is announced, but upcoming, there's going to be a 24-hour fundraising event. Uh, it's going to be Tuesday, October 26, 2021, to benefit Planned Parenthood. Um, on this day, all sales of nuclear power will be donated to Planned Parenthood, uh, the mission to ensure you know care and resources to help make people make informed decisions about their futures um what can you tell us about this initiative and and why i mean i, I think it's clear why it was important to you from what you just said um but what else can you tell us about what's what's coming there well the importance of this particular date in planned parenthood history um is 10 days before the state the very first clinic opened and hmm. it was shut down by police on the 26th um so that's why this date but the has significance. Yes. And it's also sure. October is also, you know, it ties into that was the same month as the Cuban Missile Crisis. So it seemed very you know, appropriate, <laughs> very appropriate timing to, for this comic book to do yeah. this. And it's yeah. also, you know, we're very proud of us, you know, being an all female team and, and our publisher um, publishing house is also led um, by Barbara um, and Bryant, her husband. But Barbara is also just like a really strong feminist and woman. And we were just like really excited to be able to like donate the proceeds from that day to a cause that we find very close and very important to our hearts. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I think people should definitely check that out. I'll include links here and information in the show notes for people who are interested in figuring out how um, obviously you can contribute on your own terms, but just how you can be a part of this particular fundraising initiative as well. Um, so, yeah, that's excellent. I one thing that it, this is a little bit different, but so I was looking at, you know, the details for the trade collection here, which is what's going to be available 
through October 2021. And the trade includes um, a study guide by uh, an associate professor of history here, Dr. Stephen Andes. Um, I'm curious, is this something that I've seen more creators, you're not the first creators I've spoken with now where there's a real push to market the educational aspects of these works, you know, I think in order to grow the audience, right? It's such just a a nice opportunity, especially when you're dealing with historical fiction like this. Um, Is this something that you had to push for, you know, in terms of like, hey, we want to make sure this is an educational resource. We want to get this in school libraries. Um, Or is that something that just comes with the territory with with fan base press and all that? That definitely (laughs) comes with the territory of fan base press. Like Barbara is that's very important to Barbara and it was interesting when we wrote this comic, I mean, we're fans of history. We used to write on this kid's uh, sketch series. And one of the sketches that we would write would be like famous women in history mm-hmm. uh, because we wanted to educate young audiences. But for about some- women that maybe they weren't as familiar with, like Cleopatra. It's like we could do it in a very silly, funny way, but it also had some truth behind it. Yeah. Sure. But when we wrote this comic, we weren't did, thinking about that. We weren't thinking about that. We were just like, this is very close to our heart. This is a story we want to tell. And it wasn't until we did um, our first convention where we um, announced the comic at like Long Beach Comic Con. And then afterwards, um, all these people came up to us and they, and they were telling us their stories of um, where they were when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, when they were young mm-hmm. children. And then and one of the people there was um, a history professor. And he was like, will you come speak to my students about this? I would love mm-hmm. to share this with my students. And we were like, oh, yes, yes. This is- <laughs> oh, all that accurate research we did is now <laughs> <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, that was really coming from Barbara and her wisdom to include the study guide because there is a lot of like, uh, it's, it's a period that is so overlooked and forgotten, which we didn't realize because it's some th- stories we grew up hearing about. Right. So it didn't feel mm-hmm. forgotten to us. Right. And it's also, I believe, going to be taught um, at a community college outside of Fresno in like a women's studies class as well. But it was like completely not, not our intention necessarily for that. We were just like, wouldn't it be cool if like we had some like nuclearly enhanced power people? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Um, right. Also, as the comic went on, it got more and more prescient with like the news that was happening and the with, like threats from nuclear power, like or nuclear um, oh, war again. And, yeah, like, that, we didn't intend all of that. Yeah, that time that we announced uh, nuclear power at Long Beach Comic Con. World War Three was trending on Twitter, and we were like, "Oh my gosh, Jeez, yeah. <laughs> did we do this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the downsides of too much creative power, um, <laughs> for sure. No, it is. I, I love that blend of increasingly in comics. I think, especially as even as I get older, just that blend of like, yeah, we just want this to be crazy entertaining because it's going to allow us, you know, for individual power sets, a la X Men in this grand tradition of comics. Um, but also, we're going to work in this, you know, real life history that is that is relevant and interesting um and i I increasingly appreciate that blend uh as as you kind of worked through this um like what what were some of the things that were important to you in terms of dictating the variants and their abilities right like i just alluded to like x-men there's going to be certain comic book familiar people right are going to have different versions of this that they're familiar with what was important to you in terms of defining your variants and specifying them for your story um well when we were you know, doing all this research on nuclear contamination, we were just kind of looking at what is like a nuclear reaction. And, you know, you know, it's like the splitting of atoms. 
and the drawing and releasing of energy. And so that's how we determine the powers in the comic book. Like Iris can split into two or split into multiples. And then Reed can absorb and release and transfer energy. energy. So we kind of wanted to do that in a grounded way that would make sense with nuclear contamination, as opposed to just being like, they can also fly. You know, it's like, we <laughs> want to just add in some wild power. Um, but we definitely had discussions about like, well, what if a child was born with both? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. And that's it. right. I won't. I won't speak to that too much in case people haven't read it. Um, cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay. Nuclear Power. Definitely recommend people check it out. We're going to include links here in the show notes. Um, those six issues, there's a trade out. Again, you can check that out at Fanbase Press. Uh, what can you tell us about what's coming up in your story in Marvel's Voices uh, Communities? I know you have a story coming there. Uh, without spoiling anything, what is, uh, what's the focus kind of? Uh, well, first of all, we will say that we were just updated today that uh, Communities will be coming out around December 6th. Um, so okay. it get pushed a little bit due to, you know, everything that's happening in the world. Um, but we can say that our character's uh, name is Risque. Yeah, she is um, a part of the X-Men. Um, mm-hmm. And she's in like the New Mutants. And she's been she's been around since the 90s, but she hasn't really been highlighted too much. Um, and she's gone through a lot. I mean, the poor woman's died and come back to life a couple times. Twice, yeah. <laughs> As, as is the lot for mutant kind. Yes. yes, yes. These things happen. And she also happens to be from Florida, like us. She is okay. um, yeah. half uh, Seminole and half Cuban. Yes. And so it was a very appropriate character. And also, you know, we wish that that were coming out, you know, this month for um, Latinx Heritage Month. and But it wasn't, which is unfortunate, but it's coming soon. It's coming in time for Christmas. It's coming just in time for Christmas. Yeah, but um, we can say that we wanted to tell a story about something that would be very um, close to somebody from like a Cuban or um, Native American background of, um, you know, the the story of a bit of like the conquistadors. We'll just hint at that a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Okay, good deal. No, I'm looking forward to that. I'm I read too many you know, superhero comics, just, just typically. <laughs> and uh, Risque is definitely a character I am barely familiar with. So I'm, I'm always excited when those types of characters get a chance to shine, you know, and get a little, get a little new life and potentially then uh, more, you know, people can run with it moving forward. So cool. So that's going to be in December. We'll look for Marvel's voices, uh, communities. Um, what else, what else is on the the radar that, that you want to hype up and make sure people know about? Yeah. Desert and I are currently, um, writers on a series for Disney and Disney plus it's called ultraviolet and black scorpion. Um, mm-hmm. it is about a, a teenage girl who finds a magical luchador mask and becomes a superhero. Yeah. Nice. And she fights crime with her uncle who also has a magical luchador mask. Yeah. So, um, it should premiere in January. Uh, we're we're actually on set right now, and that's why um... we have bad internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. What's uh, how's how's that experience been going? What's it been like to to create for? I mean, Disney Plus has been such a, a success, I guess, for them, and obviously these series get a lot of attention. Um, how how is this compared to some of the other stuff you've done? I mean, this has been this is show has been like so exciting for us. I mean, when we saw the original pilot. I was just like, this is the show I wanted to have as a kid because growing up, there wasn't really any 
female superheroes as leads. You know, I had like the Supergirl movie, which came out like before I was born. And that was basically it. Um, so it's just so nice to be able to provide that for the next generation. Absolutely. And it's also just like we have, you know, um, a Latin X cast and they're all wonderful. And like Disney is allowing us to kind of have the characters speak Spanish, like in certain scenes and um, bringing a lot of cultural specificity with like Lucha wrestling and like just Mexican food and Los Angeles is almost like a character in the show as well. And so that's been really quite wonderful to see on TV. It just feels very different. Good, good. Now that's really exciting to hear. That's now I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I, it seems like, you know, there is a genuine push here to to increase the diversity in Disney Plus programming. I saw, you know, Jean Luen Yang has American Born Chinese is going to get a series moving forward, and that's that's one of those books that I'm like, I don't, I didn't ever see that getting adapted. Nonetheless, on Disney, like that's yeah. shocking. So that's awesome. I, I hope there's going to be a lot more stuff like that. But what what was the name again? It's called Ultraviolet and Black Scorpion. Ultraviolet and Black Scorpion. Okay, cool. Keep that on the radar and check it out. Um, awesome, awesome. So, uh, anything else that uh, what what are you all reading? Uh, is there anything on your like that comics or otherwise that that you want to hype up or recommend? Just other people's stuff that you've enjoyed re- lately? Oh my gosh! I mean, we haven't had too much time. Um, <laughs> you must have lots of free time on set, right? So, <laughs> is that not how that works? Months ago, but it was uh, Superman versus the Clan. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Incredible. And yeah, I mean, it's it's also October. So um, I just finished reading uh, the final girls support group, um, mm. which is um, I forget the name of the author, but it's a it's a horror novel about all the final girls from your favorite horror movies that are in a therapy group together. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Good so concept. Not very enjoyable. Yes. Awesome. Perfect picks. Okay, cool. So uh, Nuclear Power, we're going to include links in the show notes. We're going to look for for the work coming forward. Uh, where should people find you? Um, where do you want uh, people to find you on social or any of that stuff? I'm on Twitter at Erica Harrell with two R's and two L's. I'm on Instagram at, at DesireGay. And you can get the comic at NuclearPowerComic.com. NuclearPowerComic.com. Perfect. And again, we'll try to link to all this stuff in the show notes for those of you who are listening. Uh, Desiree, Erica, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about the work and um, and everything going forward. So thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank, Thank you. you.